0: 12 week study on prayer, the greatest protection and the greatest blessing that God has given humanity. Faith, the Bible, and prayer, they all fit together hand in glove. If you do not have faith, you do not believe God is real. You look at the Bible, say, a bunch of myths and fairy tales. You look at prayer and say, how foolish to pray to a myth or a fairy tale. If you have faith, then the Bible takes on a whole new meaning. Because when you open up the Bible to its various pages and promises, you understand that you are conversing with God He, through his word, is conversing with you and you are feeding on that word and you're drinking it all up. It is not just going to the eyes and the ears, it's going to the heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is involved. He is the one that moves a word from the eye or the ear down to the heart and he's the one that stirs one to be recreated in Christ. If you have faith, you can pray to any mountain in your life, move. Physical, mental, emotional, social, you can pray to any mountain in your life, move. And since you're praying to God to move the mountain, he does. Faith, the Bible, and prayer are the three greatest weapons and the three greatest blessings that God has given his children. If I were to ask you what is the first prayer mentioned in the Bible, would you know the answer? The first prayer is that which you will study this week. You'll study it privately if you're not in a small group. If you are, you'll study it there. Genesis 18, verses 16 through 30 is the first prayer in the Bible. The video you saw was one type of prayer there are only two types of prayer the video you saw was a personal prayer you pray for yourself you say to god bless my health bless my finances bless my relationships you are praying for yourself you're being very selfish and you're praying for yourself Is there anything wrong with personal prayer? Nothing wrong with it. It makes God smile every time you come to him in prayer. It makes God smile because when you come to him, you're saying, God, I believe you're real. And I believe your promises are true. I'm not praying into a vacuum. I'm praying to the same God who created this universe, the same God who thought enough about me that he sent his son to die on the cross. There is nothing wrong with personal prayer. It is glorious in God's eyes. And the Bible goes so far as to say when one sinner comes to God in prayer, repenting of their sins, the angels in heaven rejoice. God doesn't say to you, how dare you pray about yourself? Are you that uh, selfish? Are you that self-centered? You come to him in prayer and he absolutely rejoices. I've told you before that my phone has many, many people in it, constant contact. There are only two that will draw my heavy attention. One is my son, Joshua, and one is my wife. They draw instantaneous attention because they don't call haphazardly. They only call when something is going on that Papa needs to hear about, or my husband needs to hear about, that's when they call. And I don't care what I'm in, except for this church service, thank you very much. I don't care what I'm in, I step away to take that. That's God, when you're coming to him in personal prayer. He might have eight billion people on this planet, but he's got you plugged in to his contacts. And when you lift up a prayer to him, he hears. There is a second type of prayer in the first prayer mentioned in the Bible here in Genesis 18. It is a second type of prayer. It is called intercessory prayer. It's where you are praying for someone else. Or you're praying for a vast group of people. Can an intercessory prayer include all the world? Yes. Yes. Can it include the government? Yes. Can it include the media? Yes. Can it include your neighborhood? Yes. Your state? Yes. Intercessory prayer is for someone else where you so love that individual, so concerned about them, and you so trust the reality and the promises of God that you do not hesitate to come to Him. What prompts you to pray? Listen carefully. What prompts you to pray? John 6.44 is the answer. Jesus said, no one can come to me, not in faith, not in prayer. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them to do that. And when their Father draws them to come to me, in prayer, in meditation, opening up the Bible, studying His Word, when the Holy Spirit draws them to come to me, they have my full attention. You would never utter a single prayer, John 6, 44, you would never utter a single prayer unless the Holy Spirit has come to you and whispered to you, here's what you need to do. You need to come to Him. You need to pray. Genesis 18, there are two distinct sections of this text. The first one speaks about a man called Abraham. The second section is about Abraham's intercessory prayer to God. Let us look at verse 16. When the three men got up to leave, who are the three men? They are two angels that have come to him. Initially, he thinks they're just ordinary people. But within about 15 minutes, he understands they are not ordinary people. These are two angels. And there is a third amongst them. And the third person is not an ordinary angel. The third person is the angel of the Lord. Twelve times in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is mentioned. And every time he is mentioned, it is referring to Jesus Christ in the pre-incarnate form. Where something is of such great magnitude that God does not send his ordinary angels. He sends the angel of the Lord for that circumstance. When Moses is in conversation, it is not an ordinary angel that is talking to Moses about delivering the Israelite. It is the angel of the Lord who has come. And so the third person talking with Abraham is the angel of the Lord. When they start telling Abraham, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And uh, Abraham is sitting there saying, I'm 100 years of age, She's 90 All of a sudden he understands these are not ordinary people. These three are angels from God. And one of them is Jesus himself. When the three got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And the angel of the Lord said, I shall not hide from Abraham what I am about to do. I shall not hide from Abraham what I am about to do. There were three tests that Abraham went through early in his life. The first test was God saying to him, I want you to leave your father's inheritance, all of his property. I want you to follow me wherever I take you. Abraham had a choice. He could either stay there in the well-watered, well-endowed property that his father owned, or he could give up everything and follow God. Abraham passed the first test. second test was when Lot and Abraham were standing looking over the delta of the Jordan River Valley. When they had come to this section uh, four years earlier... God had so blessed their flocks that they had gotten so large there wasn't enough room for them. And all of a sudden, Lot and his servants began to fight Abraham and his servants for this piece of land. Here's the test for Abraham. Abraham goes to Lot. Abraham is the patriarch. In the Old Testament, the patriarch ruled everything. You could not breathe unless the patriarch told you you could breathe. You want to talk about a micromanager. There was no greater micromanager than a patriarch in the Old Testament. You bowed down to them every time you entered the presence. They held all power, all wealth, all relationships in their hands. What does Abraham, the patriarch, do? Abraham says to Lot, his nephew... He says, I want you to choose. You choose the land you want. And whatever you choose, I will honor and bless. And I will go the other direction. The patriarch says to the nephew, you choose. And the nephew did not have the kind heart that Abraham did. He jumped on it right away. He looked at the well-watered territory of the Jordan River Valley. He saw all the trees and bushes growing there. He saw all the crops growing there. He saw the green grass for his sheep. And without hesitation, he said to Abraham, I'm going east. I'm going east. And Abraham, was he angry? No. Abraham said, God has always directed my path, and he will continue to direct my path. God was so touched by the heart of Abraham that he said to Abraham, let's go, let's go to the west, let's enter the land of Canaan. I know the ground is not so good here, but I want you to look to the north, south, east, and west, and everything your eyes see, that will belong to you. He said, I'll make you a great and powerful nation, and all nations on this earth will be blessed. Test number two, he passes with flying colors. And when God sees his faith, and when he sees his purity of heart, he says, Abraham is who I thought he was. You remember, don't you, the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn over this earth's suffering. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who seek after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Guess what Abraham was? He was the Beatitudes in personal form. Here is his third test. The angel Lord says, I shall not hide from Abraham what I am about to do and he already knows what abraham how abraham will respond to what he is about to hear so certain is the angel of the lord as to how abraham will respond he says to abraham before the test is ever finished before it's ever begun he says abraham will become a great and powerful nation the second time he said it in a 3 year period Abraham will become a great and powerful nation and all nations on this earth will be blessed through him. I have chosen Abraham because he will teach his children not about wealth, not about power, not about riches, not about wisdom. He will teach his children to know God and to follow God as the most important thing in their life. That is where their power will come from. And he will teach them, listen carefully to the wording, he will teach them to do what is right and just. I've been blessed to do over 1,700 baptisms. I have never baptized an infant without asking the parents three vows. And the first thing I have asked them over these 44 years is this. Do you acknowledge that the most important thing your child will ever have is a relationship with his Lord and Savior, with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If I baptize your child, you've taken that vow. Do you acknowledge the most important thing they'll ever have is a relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And every parent has always answered, I do. The angel Lord said, Abraham, you'll be great and powerful. Not powerful like Assyria or Babylon or Persia or Egypt or Rome. You'll be powerful because you have the most powerful thing in the universe in your hand and in your life and in the life of the generations that come after you because you'll teach them that Jehovah Elohim is the most important thing they could ever have in their life. And you'll teach them to do what is right and just. That is the first part of the text, zeroing in on Abraham. And now the angel of the Lord comes to the test. The Lord says to Abraham, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. The two angels turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing, conversing with the angel of the Lord. Does it say directly that the three indicated to Abraham they would destroy the city? Not in the text, but so attuned is Abraham that he knows exactly what is being said. And hence come his words. Abraham approached the angel of the Lord, and he said to the angel of the Lord, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked, What if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom? The archaeologists do their diggings, do they not? And when they do their diggings, Sodom and Gomorrah, the population at that time was sixty to 120,000 people in Sodom. The same population as Nineveh in the book of Jonah. Abraham is saying to the angel, Lord, if there are 50 righteous out of 100,000, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He is conversing with God. You say, Pastor, what do you think this is a prayer? He is conversing with God. It's a conversation he's having. What is a conversation with God called? It's called prayer. I have people all the time, perhaps you're one of them, I know I am. I talk to God all day long. I pray to him all day long. When I see a homeless person, I pray to God, be with him, be with her. When I pass a police officer, a fireman, a paramedic, I say, God, be with you him today protect him and his family when I see a near accident avoided I say thank you Lord when I go by a funeral home and I see a bunch of cars there I say Lord you know what family has been touched by grief be with them I'm talking to God all day long it's just an ordinary conversation There's a favorite devotion of mine. It talks about a Scotsman who went to the minister in his parish one day and he said to him, I have such difficulty praying. If I pray at the end of the day, I get so tired I fall asleep before I'm finished. And if I stay awake, I lose track of what I'm talking about and all of a sudden I forget that I'm even praying. Reminds me of me when I was 10, 11, 12 years of age. There has to be some Catholicism in me though all of my predecessors were Lutheran pastors, because as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, I had it in my mind. I didn't have a rosary, you understand, but I had it in my mind that when I prayed for my mom, I had to pray 10 times, God be with my mom, and 10 times for my dad, and 10 times for my three brothers, and 10 times for my sister, and 10 times for my basketball coach. You know what I'm saying. So if you can't fall asleep and you count sheep... You're soon asleep, and for me, wasn't counting the sheep, I was counting prayers. And I was soon asleep. What is prayer but a conversation with God? And do not, I understand, as well you do, that there are times when something so nightmarish is going on in your life, It is no longer an ordinary conversation with God. It is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Go to your closet. How many times have I told you I'm up here at midnight praying in front of this altar over some grievous matter that is going on in this church or in my life? There are times when it's not an ordinary conversation. You had ordinary conversations with your moms and dads, I'm sure. But there were times when you said to your mom and dad, I need time to talk with you. And they saw the look on your face and they knew that this was crucial. Your prayers, ordinary conversation with God until that event comes that necessitates a time of great quietness and stillness where there are only two people in your life, you and God. And you come to him in prayer. I want you to notice what happens in this event. When Abraham begins talking with the angel. If there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you sweep it away and not spare the righteous? Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about six people. Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's two daughters, their two husbands. He's thinking about six people. He's saying to himself, I got six people I love in that city. They worship God. God, will you destroy those six people along with all of the wicked? And then the angel Lord says, If I find fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the city for their sake. And now notice the change in Abraham. He realizes how selfish he has been, and all of a sudden, he's not praying for six people, Lot and his relatives. He's praying for the entire city. Listen to the wording. What if the number is 45? Will you destroy the whole city because of 45 people? It's no longer Lot. It's the entire city. I was there four years ago. There was a man whose son had died. And the grandchildren were gathered together, and his son and daughter-in-law and his wife, they were all there on the playground ready to let balloons go up on the anniversary of this young man's death. And the man had always prayed before on the anniversaries, he had always prayed, Lord, be with me, be with my wife, be with my other son, you know, as we grieve the passing of this dear boy. But this time he prayed differently. This time he said, Lord, be with every parent on this earth, Who has lost a child? All of a sudden, he wasn't just praying for himself. All of a sudden, he's praying for everybody. What's your battle? Is it alcoholism? Do you just pray for those in your group? Do you just pray for yourself? Are you one of the 40 people in the grief support group this fall? 40 people. Do you just pray for yourself and those in the room with you? Or do you pray for any human being on this earth who has lost a loved one? Who do you pray for? I've run out of time. run out of time closing thought you will never pray to God unless the Holy Spirit moves you to do that John 6 44. and when the Holy Spirit moves you to pray to God the Holy Spirit takes you into God's presence whenever you pray whether it's a conversation or whether it's an intense prayer late at night in a private room, whenever you pray, the Holy Spirit is involved. Do you not think that the one who ended the Beatitudes by saying, ask in prayer and you'll receive, seek in prayer and you will find, knock in prayer and the door will be open"? Do you not think that the one who made that promise and that command to you will not bless that which he commanded? He must, because the Spirit moves you to pray, and as soon as you begin to pray, you are literally in the presence of God himself. Pastor Sauer and I will have a good time the next 12 weeks, you will have a good time. Grab that book, even if you're not in a small group. We'll do the lessons on prayer. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, may your spirit descend upon the word. May it descend upon the song that the Trinity singers brought to us. May it descend upon the hymns, the scripture readers, and this holy sacrament. May your spirit descend and bring all the power and peace that God has for us in these elements. Such things we ask in his name. Amen